What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Outfielder Podcast, episode 130, presented by Sensibly Loud Media. I am your host, J-Mac, a.k.a. Founder Numero Uno, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Popfly himself, Founder Numero Dos, Ben. Here's the thing about fences. Baseball, Ben, what's going on? Hello, 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 J-Mac, and here is the thing about fences. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you this evening? I'm doing well. Uh, I've been stress-buying Harry Potter Lego sets. Um, so that's like what you do in your thirties. So speaking of stress buying Legos, let's see who's on deck. Ladies and gentlemen, now batting cleanup for the outfielder podcast. Number three, the great Sam Bino. Hello, Sam. Hi, how's it going? Doing well, man. How's it going this evening? It's good. They they made me turn my clock back an hour, so the sun sets at like four forty-five. Ooh, it's not good at all. Well, there's only I, I don't know. We'll get into it later. There's only one guy that knows about turning clocks back. Let's check in with him. One more person with us today. Jimmy's here. How's it going, Jimmy? Hey, guys. Well, you know, I, I tried to prepare myself for that song before it played and just like, you know, get ready for it. And then I heard it and it just it takes me back. It's it's a, it's an all time classic. It's a good one. It's an ode to the late night band that you really don't see anymore. That's kind of now gone by the wayside, mostly, sadly enough. And so it's, I, it's, it's a good kick in. I love it. It that song slaps. Number one, huge props to J Mac for that one. And number two, Jimmy, um, do you think anyone else in your office has their own theme song? They definitely don't yet. But if if I need them to have one, I'm calling J Mac mm-hmm. to to make it personally. No problem. No problem. I, I've only got so many of those probably in the tank as far as ideas go. But you know, I'll I'll try my best to fulfill all orders. You know, that's a, that's a real that's a business pivot, but it's a really niche <laughs> business pivot for sensibly loud media. It's good though. It's unique. It's a unique business idea. Well, we are back. We are gonna do. So we're gonna celebrate a Dodgers World Series, which we'll get into in just a second. Because no, Ben has some. Do what? No. We're not celebrating. Why would we celebrate such a thing? I don't know. Ben seems like he really wants to celebrate more than anything else because he's been calling this for like four years. Um, so we'll get into that. We'll get into the Mets sale here in a few minutes. Uh, the Mets have finally been sold, and I know Jimmy wants to talk about it, and I knew we didn't want to have you here to talk about it until it was finally done because that's how karma works. So we'll we talk about that, was, that too. Yeah, that was really important. Thank you. <laughs> the, the sale was also announced about a year ago, and then it managed to fall through in uh, a very brief window. And we talked about it, I think, in Colorado yeah. uh, earlier this year, which I can't even believe was earlier this year. <laughs> um, but yes, we, this was important to wait till all, all the dots were, eyes were dotted, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, to, to discuss. Yeah. Wait for the ink to dry on this one. That's right. And the other thing we've got to discuss here is the absolute unbelievable re- hiring of Tony La Russa as the manager of the White Sox. I, I, 
no words. We'll get into that. Um, Sam, I did follow up on something from last week, though, that you had you brought to our attention, and that is the birthday cake icing Oreos. If you like synthetic-tasting synthetic sweetness, i.e. like your Albertsons or Kroger birthday cake icing from like 1996, birthday cake Oreos are your ticket, your nostalgic ticket to your childhood birthday parties. So I'll start by throwing it out. Jimmy, Ben, have either of you tried these yet? I didn't know they existed, so <laughs> the answer is no. Good, good. So I I just um, I heard about them last week on the pod, and then the times this week that I've gone to the grocery store, I have not seen them. Granted, mm. I haven't been hunting for it's them, out. but like I've been I have been looking, like I've been aware to see if they're around. It's a hot product, I think. I think a lot of people are looking for them, uh, understandably so. I. Uh, so my review of them is this. So Sam, like, what's your overall like review of them? Are they just like incredible? They're like full, full indulgence. It's like the grossest, sugariest mess of yum yums ever. So like, uh, I could probably go through like four or five normal Oreos like without breaking a sweat. I can have like two birthday cake Oreos because they're so rich. They, they are, are really good. They are really good. I wasn't quite as blown away by them as I thought I was going to be. And I mean, this is what this podcast has come down to is talking about birthday cake filled Oreos. So that's awesome. That's what I always dreamed of happening here. But I really thought they were good, but I I wasn't blown away by them. And simply because of the fact of what you just mentioned a second ago is the 1996 feeling of the filling that's inside. It's fine. It's not a not as good as a normal Oreo to me. Are they like so rich that they benefited from Donald Trump's tax cuts? Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. <you>. Yeah. <laughs> vote tomorrow, everyone. Well, if you're listening to this, it drops tomorrow. So vote today. Yeah, do it today. Ben is not thinking about baseball right now. <laughs> Newsflash. Yeah, he's trying to figure out where he's going to get these Oreos. No, they were, they're fine. They're not the best thing in the world because, like I said, and the other thing is, I'm not like the biggest sweets person in the world. So, like, a little bit is fine with me. So something that's like that chock full of fondant is not exactly my cup of tea usually. For those that, that follow the Sensibly Loud family closely, uh, a few New Year's ago, so not this most recent one, 19 into 20, but 18 into 19, I did an Oreo challenge where I tried to eat an entire package of Oreos in under 10 minutes. And I made it through 27 of them uh, before I had to give up. And there were 30 in the package. And oh I have God. not purchased Oreos since that day. <laughs> Understandably so, I feel like. That's kind of like when, you know, someone catches their, their kids smoking a cigarette, so they make them smoke the whole pack, and then they don't want to smoke <laughs> again. Yep. Well, Jimmy, now that I caught you with this little camel filter light, I'm going to make you smoke a whole pack of Marlboro Red 100s, <laughs> and I'm going to cut the filters off just to spite you. <laughs> Oh, gross. It sounds like hell. Just no matter which way you slice it, that sounds terrible. Um, but yeah, Ben, I, I I was thinking about that. I was wondering if you had even had Oreos since then. No, I, I haven't. I mean, I may have been like at a, at a gathering before all the COVID lockdown stuff. And um, like, oh, there's Oreos. I'll have one. But I, I have not purchased them. That's for darn sure. Okay. All right. I... 
The mere mention of Marlboro Reds has triggered some sort of so I was gonna say very like visceral reaction in my gut where it's like everything needs to leave now. <laughs> not... Sam is basically having like a, a nom flashback <laughs> at the mention of a specific cigarette brand. It's not okay. It's not good yeah. at all. Sorry, buddy. It's not good. <laughs> Didn't mean to do that to you. He's gonna have get his uh, gas mask out here in a little while that he brought to the show earlier this summer. It's good stuff. Actually, you both did, now that I think about it. Well, speaking of masks, should we pivot to the World Series in the land of COVID? Yes, we shall. So so we are we going to go over like predictions in a little while? We work- I think I think we should do our end of the or excuse me, our predictions from like when the season started at the end of the episode, but okay. I do think it's worth revisiting our World Series oh. predictions now, if yes. for no other reason than of who I predicted. Absolutely. Ben's got to pat himself on the back here. Okay, so let's let's look at World Series predictions. So Jimmy, you didn't have these. You got you did the ones at the beginning of the season, but these were like the ones we did as the World Series was going on. Once uh, we knew who the teams were. Right. Sam, do you so, want to grab those? Yeah. Yeah. For the World Series prediction, Justin had Tampa Bay winning in seven. <sighs> I had Tampa Bay winning in six, and Ben had the Dodgers winning in five. The Dodgers did indeed win in six. So Whoa. Ben wins the, I don't know, Golden Sombrero. Can you say that? The other, the other thing we guessed on uh, around the World Series was the total number of runs scored. Justin won that. Um, he guessed there'd be 51 runs over seven games. By the time we'd gotten to game four, they'd already scored 50. So he definitely <laughs> won. That was the highest guess. Jesus. That's so many runs. How many, do we know how many they scored total by the time it was all said and done with? We do not. Okay. No wor- No worries. Just curious. It's, it's I can, good I can stuff. tabulate. No, it's not really that big of a deal, but. You definitely won. Well, I mean, I'm not worried about that. I'm just curious as to how much actually went down because it was a it was a pretty electric series but it, it never never really felt far out for the Dodgers in any way shape or form in my opinion yeah, yeah. I think that um, a lot of the games were closer than I would have than I would have thought given the matchups of the teams however we talked about you know the the pitching matchups especially and with what Tampa's been doing since last year but especially have really perfected this year I mean we're, we're gonna have to talk about Snell getting pulled here in a little bit but I mean Overall, I think that the whole the whole series in and of itself, um, yeah, it it was more exciting than I thought it was going to be. So that was that was pretty good. Jimmy, what was your read on the whole thing? I mean, the Dodgers are like really, really good. Like it took it took them it took them several years, but you know, you, you figured just a team that talented was going to pull it out eventually. It's true. It really helps when you you know have a generational talent out in right field that you know, you sign to a long-term deal and add that to the incredible young talent that they already have. And I mean, there are going to be, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch what happens to the, this Dodgers team in free agency, because there are a lot of really good players on that team and not nearly enough spots. So there's going to be a lot of shake up there and you you really can't blame some of those guys for walking away. Um, you know, if, if it, you know, money wise, and it's a be- just a better opportunity for them, they've got to do that. Um, that's just chock full of talent. It really is. And they've been good for a really long time, like four or five years. Like how wide is the window, right? I know it's a lot of young guys, but do they still have three years with all these guys? Or are they going to lose like a Justin Turner? 
or something so, or who's up to leave all right I mean, first of all Turner's, Turner's their biggest free agent so i mean that was like the the thing that i was that i was concerned about and exactly the question i was about to ask because how long is a window normally because they definitely have been you know, they lost the World Series in 17, they lost in 18, they lost in the CS in 19, and then they won in 20. So, like, that's four years in a row of deep postseason runs. And most teams don't even get a window that's four years long. The thing that I think sets the Dodgers apart has nothing to do with ownership or management. It has to do with the size of their wallet. Like, because they're willing to spend the money, because they have such a high payroll, that will extend the windows much longer than, say, Chicago or even Tampa in this case or Oakland because other clubs don't have the payroll and they're not willing to continue to write the checks. I don't necessarily know if Turner is going to be back, but I do think that 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 plays into the length of their window. Uh, yeah, think- but they are over they're over the luxury cap. They're well into the high taxation brackets with the highest payroll in baseball. Like that's not sustainable. They'll have to shed something at some point and whether it's this year or the following year, it's kind of like who's on the table. And like, do you think they're going to be willing to keep spending like they've been spending now that they've won one? Like it kind of feels like maybe they, you know, went all in to try to pull, pull this one out, but maybe they're a little bit, they have a little bit more trepidation moving forward to like keep the band together. As a, a fan of a team that's going through that exact thing right now, I can tell you that that's very real. And it comes down to a point where you cannot keep doing it so i understand that part of it it stinks it really does but like uh it it can be handled the right way and one of the things that the dodgers has done have done really well is kind of rebuilding on the fly and and doing a lot of things as far as trades go to continue making themselves good as far as depth wise goes and just having budding future talent in the pipeline that really helps a lot. And they were bad for a very long time coming up to, I mean, during the, before Magic Johnson and the Guggenheim group and all those guys bought them, they were really not a good baseball team. And so they benefited from a lot of those kinds of, the, that kind of rebuild kind of perpetually for a while. It, it's an interesting study. I'm going to be interested to see what happens during free agency. Isn't Justin Turner like 37 years old or something like that? There's no way he's coming yeah. back. No way he's yeah, coming I, back. And I think that another team will chase on that contract. Probably a team like Texas because we're dumb. Oh, no, no. No, I I don't think they should at all. Like, I think that any team that's willing to spend money on Justin Turner, if for no other reason than he's a fucking moron, um, like, aside from all that, I don't think anyone should spend money on him. But, yeah, he's, he's 37. He certainly has peaked in his production. Like, he fits well within that specific group that he's in. But realistically, the Dodgers, they're they're going to want to shed payroll, like y'all said, and they're still only a few pieces away. They can they can afford to not sign a name like Turner and plug and play a few other people to keep extending the window. Um, I want to know how many t- how many years they've been like in the the repeat tax or whatever, because I want to say at some point they managed to get under somewhere. But I can't really remember when that was. But they've got a pretty high tax bill. And, I mean, the other thing about them, too, is, like, I mean, you've got guys like Kershaw that are, are getting older. I'm glad to see that he was able to kind of shake some of those playoff woes that he's always had. Because he's not going to, you know, I mean, he's not going to be playing at the level that he's been playing at 
for that much longer. And I mean, there are some holes there as far as pitching goes for them. Yeah. That's the only reason I'm happy the Dodgers won is for Kershaw to finally get one. Cause he, he's an all time great. He's a Dallas kid. Um, went to Highland park high school. I'm happy for him. That's kind of it. Jimmy were Sam and I ill guided in picking the rays. Would you say it, in the world series? Yeah. I, I mean, so the Rays were like a surprisingly good team. Like I, I did not pay any attention to them during the season. And then uh, they like trounced the Yankees and my Yankee fan friends were like, Oh, the Rays are going to roll the Dodgers. Like they, but I think that was them also, you know, compensating for other things. Um, but uh, I do think uh, like the Rays were really, really good. And they're like, arguably one of the most creative teams in baseball. Like they'll just try anything if they think it has a shot. So I don't think you were wrong to to do that, especially since the Dodgers had lost the other world series that they had been in recently. Um, but the Dodgers were really, really good. Yeah. It never really felt like the Rays had it. It felt like they were going to have to pull one out of their hat over and over again to build them to make it happen somehow, which is possible. I mean, the, Na- the nationals did it the year before. They they became a really good team when it mattered the most. So, what are the chances that that the Rays will be back next year? Do you think now that the league has finished uh, figured them them out, or do you think that their ability to get creative, to win close games, to twist and turn the dials to to get it synced up is going to continue to serve them well? Personally, I think that the AL East is going to be more competitive next year. I mean, they they benefit from the Red Sox being terrible, the Blue Jays still in the middle of a rebuild, and the Yankees being their real only competition. And the Orioles kind of in that same boat of just not being that relevant. Yet got some stuff coming up, but for the most part, still not there. They're going to have more competition in the division next year for sure. And I don't know what's going to happen in free agency because there's actually a lot that could happen that could vastly improve the Yankees and the Red Sox very quickly. And that could be a real problem from them. It'll, I don't. I'm not saying I, I think that will happen, but it, there are things that could happen um, that could make that a possibility for them. So I, I'm not sure. I think the competition is going to get harder, but I think they're a really good team. I think the competition will get harder. I think the composition of that team will also change somewhat. But that team is pretty much like the Oakland A's plus plus plus. Right? They've got a higher payroll and they're better constructed top to bottom, they will continue to be a regular season threat and largely impotent in the very important uh, like playoff games. Must be something in the bays. Could be. Maybe having no fans just finally got to him. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a very good point. Nobody likes those teams. No, but um, it, it is an interesting study, though, right? As far as One- composition. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing that I, I want to point out based on what Sam was saying around Kershaw finally getting one, I do want to say I'm super happy that the walking old man that is Vin Scully got to see another Dodgers win. Like, that's pretty cool, I think. Why are you shaking your head at that, J Mac? Am I the only one who doesn't really get Vin Scully? Like, I don't. Yes, you definitely are the only one, I think. I don't He's think he's a national true. treasure. <sighs> Him and Red Barber were calling Brooklyn Dodgers games in the fifties. But that's and you're like, shaking your head at him. That's kinda of like the coolest thing about him though. That's the part that bothers me, and that has nothing to do with me. Okay, hold on. The Kirk Gibson call in eighty eight is a classic. Yeah. And 
That's true. Even if the coolest thing about you is that you were calling Brooklyn Dodgers games, that's a pretty fucking cool fact. Like, yeah. that's a good party trick. Maybe I just don't really care or don't really acknowledge it more than anything else. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't really come up on my radar at all. I don't. Evident. Him. Where, where do you land on this, Jimmy? What, what's your take? Well, so my my dad was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan when he was a kid. And he still holds a grudge to this day. He didn't want to see the Dodgers win. So, um, you know, like the fact that Vin Scully has roots back to there, I'm, I'm, in, I'm pro Vin Scully in a, to, to pick the controversial stance at this, this trying time in our country. All right. That's one against Sam. <laughs> no, I, I'm with Ben. Vin Scully is a national treasure and there's nothing that, I don't, you, you said it all, Jay Mackey. He doesn't impact you, and I don't give a shit about you. Like, Vin Scully's great. I mean, Vin Scully doesn't impact you either, pal. Just say sure it. He does. He's had some great calls. He's a great baseball caller. All right. All right. Well, I guess more, I, I think it, so this isn't like something that keeps me up at night, to be fair. And I don't want to kill this controversial take because it doesn't really Kind of sounds like it. No, but it's one of those things where I feel like it was more relevant when he was still calling baseball games versus now. Because he's actually recently come out on, on social media, which is incredibly fucking awkward. And So you know. he's like 90-something years old. Right. And my, my favorite thing is when you said, I'm less interested in him when he stopped calling games. Like, that's the definition of, oh, you're not doing anything for me. Go to hell. Like, and I love that, that that's your, your DNA. Have you ever not known me to be that that way in well, any way, shape, that's or form? The thing is, it's, it's reinforcing it. Like, yeah. I had forgotten because I don't see you every day anymore. But God, what a what a wonderful <laughs> reminder of just how mean we all can be. Uh, I love it. I did not anticipate this uh, turning into a Vin Scully, you know, debate here. But here we are. So, well, he was over there like, this is him. He's all like, congratulations to the ball club. Congratulations to you. Celebrate, but do it responsibly. Like, what but, a bamf. But, like, you and him are, like, the only two people that will talk like that, Ben. I, that's my point. Is this the, I don't know. I, I'm not going to win this argument with you, fellas, so let's just we'll move loop, on. Uh, we'll loop John Mulaney in the club of people who still talk in a transatlantic accent. Yeah, sorry. If you like Brock Meyer, you have to like Vin Scully. That's incredibly untrue. Those are two very different things. <laughs> If if Vin Scully goes off the bandwagon and starts talking about his wife cheating on him on the air somehow or another, he's got my respect. Right. Until Vin then. Scully is like Ron Jeremy meets uh, Brock Meyer. Brock Meyer is Vin Scully meets Ron Jeremy. There you go. It's good. It's good. It's an apt comparison. That's a hell of a Venn diagram. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Ben. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Ben's just been waiting to make a Venn diagram joke all day long. Quite honestly, I wasn't. That was completely unintentional, and now I'm sad about it that I didn't have that queued up in okay. the dumbest of all jokes. We covered it for you anyway. It's fine. Thank you. No one will ever know. Ben, does it feel right, and does it feel good to finally be right about this Dodgers World Series pick? You know... I've been married long enough to know that being right doesn't come very often, so I'm gonna I'm gonna celebrate this one. Okay, it's good. All right, a broken clock. A broken clock is right at least once every four years. 
That's exactly how that goes, right? I don't know if that's the expression, but how do clocks work in Georgia, Sam? So, Sam, are you bitter? Are you like, so you definitely would have rather seen the Rays win in this situation, right? Yeah, I'd have rather seen the Rays win. I'm not like anti Dodger, I'm just more pro Ray. I really wanted to see a team with an incredibly small payroll beat a team with the largest payroll. Yeah. I like the underdog. You're David and Goliath here. Like you're always pulling for David. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Now if it was like um Dodgers Yankees, like I'd be Dodgers all the way. Same. That's that's kind of where I fall on it too. It, it the only thing that I had to kind of prevent me from being that all in on the Rays, like I didn't really ever care that much. I I'd wanted to pick the other the underdog, but I do have them in my division on a uh you know, year to year basis. So I think that fell into play for me. All right. So, do we want to get into the Mets sale with Stephen Cohen and Jimmy and I talking about calling up the mayor's office this past week and all this kind of stuff? Um, Jimmy, do you want to kind of sum it up as far as where we're at with all of it? Well, on, uh, I guess it was Friday, Thursday or Friday of last week, the the owners met and they voted. And I think the final vote was 26 to 4 to approve Steve Cohen purchasing the Mets. Um, I think like it's probably worth going back a little bit. So the Mets previous owners were the Wilpon family, Fred and Jeff. Fred is like 90 years old now, um, a real estate guy uh, in New York city owned, owned some buildings. And, you know, those, those people are always above board um, in terms of their, their ethics and and, um, skill sets. And uh, turns out, uh, and actually, let's go even further back. So Bobby Bonilla, um, a fun topic that we bring up uh, very okay. often. Um, there's a specific day every year where he gets paid by the Mets still. And the backstory for that, I forget if we talked about this at a previous podcast, but um, way back when the Mets were deciding what to do with Bobby Bonilla when they were ready to get rid of him, um, they had two options. They could pay like a $3 million buyout to him or they could take that money put it with their money manager who was this brilliant guy and have it accrue you know interest over time and then by the time they had to pay bobby bonilla 10 15 years 20 years later the money would have made so much more money that they'd be coming out ahead turns out that money manager was a a little little guy named bernie madoff and um didn't work out uh and so like Basically, like around 2009 or so, when like all the Madoff stuff had really collapsed, um, Mets ownership was just like de- like decimated, and um, you know we were scratching for like the Jason Bays of the world, and like it was really it was it was a sad a sad scene. Um, but like to be a big market team in New York and not be able to actually spend money competitively was a real problem, and like they were bad, you know for PR reasons too. Basically like Mets ownership has been horrendous for a really long time. And uh, I was pretty sure that I would never see the Mets win a world series in my life. And then, so to have uh, Steve Cohen, who is a, uh, I think he's worth $13 billion. He's now the richest owner in major league baseball um, and a lifelong Mets fan, have him come in and uh, try to shape up this, this ship is incredibly exciting. I want to call out something. Whenever we all met up in Colorado last year, 
uh, Jimmy, you had a wonderful take where you were kind of breaking it down for, for me especially because I, I have no take on Mets ownership not being part of that market. But uh, J-Mac, I think, summed it up better. But I guess your your take on the Wilpon group is that it was like a kid playing with his dad's toys and not – what, what's the – Yeah. Well, so, so the thing is that – so Fred, um, you know, like him or not, had some success in the real estate world. His son, Jeff – is completely incompetent. He has no discernible skills. And um, basically, like, he has the job that he has because his dad owns the team. So Jeff gets to, like, play GM and, like, pretend like he's in charge and do all the stuff. But he's, like, horrible at it. And about this time a year ago, I think the way the story goes is that one of the other um, Mets owners, or no, I think, I think Fred was, like, starting to do estate planning. And one of the other Mets owners um, from the ownership group was like, you cannot just leave everything to Jeff. Jeff can't run this. No. So you need to sell the team because um, I won't allow Jeff to like take over. And that's what triggered um, the sale, at least in one of, one of the stories I heard. Um, so, yeah, Jeff is like um, like a child getting to play with dad's toys, except dad's toys um, bring me agony multiple times a year. So well said there. And, and the funny thing is, so when that first all came about, Stephen Cohen was going to buy the team. And this was all the, before the pandemic stuff started. And one of the major holdups in the deal was that they wanted Jeff Wilpon to still have a job with the club. And he was like, absolutely not. No. Well, yeah, basically, yeah, basically what happened was the original deal was like, okay, Steve, you can buy the team, but you have to let Jeff be in charge for five years and then you can do whatever you want. And Steve was like, okay, sure. And then as they were getting close to like signing the deal, he was like, you guys weren't serious about that, right? <laughs> like, I don't have to like keep Bozo in charge. And they were like, no, no, that's like really important. That's a deal breaker. And, uh, you know, the commissioner came down on the side of the Wilpons and was like, Steve Cohen's going back on the deal this deal is over, like get out of here. And that like caused a bunch of strife. Um, but then they, uh, they hired an investment bank to um, seek out new buyers. That was like early this year. And then I guess sometime around maybe like June or July was when they solicited new bids. And so there was uh, Steve Cohen coming back um, to bid. And then uh, I think whichever guys own uh, the Philadelphia 76ers also were going to put in a bid and JLo and A-Rod had an ownership group that they were forming. Um, and, you know, like I, I don't care that much about JLo and A-Rod. Like it could be cool. Like they seem like, they seem like nice people. I really want um, someone who does not care how much a particular player wants um, to make. Uh, and I was worried that as, as rich as JLo and A-Rod are, they are not Steve Cohen rich. I happen to have a list of some things to highlight how rich he is, if you would be interested in that. Absolutely. Oh, please. Yes. This is my new favorite game. <laughs> so it's it's worth saying that he owns a billion dollars worth of art, a billion with a B, um, including a, a shark, a real shark preserved in formaldehyde. Um, you can look this up on the internet. Um he once paid Guy Fieri $100,000 to be his friend for a day, and they recreated <laughs> Diners, Drives, and Dives. 
which is I think like the best the best thing I've ever heard. That's I, so an option. Well, it was you know it was 2013, so Guy's star was a little bit uh, smaller, and so I don't I don't think you could get Guy for a hundred thousand dollars today. Um, so that was again, he's a good investor. He knows he knows when to find a good deal. Right, um, that day now is probably worth a quarter of a mil. <clears throat> I know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like the art thing is a big one, um, and and then the Guy Fieri thing is obviously incredible and huge um so yeah i mean like it's really it's it to go from uh the cheap arguably some of the cheapest and least confident owners in baseball to someone who really knows what he's doing and can spend whatever he wants and uh and is a lifelong mets fan like it's really like the best of all worlds that's awesome awesome takes for those that um if you're if you're not watching the the live stream or checking this out on YouTube or Facebook right now, J Mac actually pulled up the shark. It looks like about a 17 foot great white. Oh, we got an would ad. Be, would be my guess. Um, but that's uh, that's an impressive option that I didn't know people had. Oh, he also, and this one is less confirmed according to the Business Insider article that I found to describe <laughs> it. Uh, he may own. A bunch of like tattooed pigs for art. I'm assuming the pigs are also like dead and preserved and not just like living pigs with a bunch of tattoos. That seems incredibly mean. So we're um, we're all just going to hope that they are, if it's true, that they are like preserved pigs who you know died of natural causes or something. A diatribe here. Isn't that how like tattooers sometimes practice is on dead pigs? Or am I oh. making that up? Yes. No, you did not make that up. Pig skin is a lot like human skin. Mark that for later. <laughs> what a great drop potential that is. Um, okay, interesting. So the guy's not afraid to spend money is really what this comes down to, right, Jimmy? That's right. The, the, like, the running joke uh, that I've heard over the last weekend or so is that um, we should give Bobby Bonilla a raise <laughs> just, because, just because he can do that. Um, so, yeah, it's like... I don't know what he'll do um, this offseason. He brought back Sandy Alderson to be, like, the president of baseball operations. And, I mean, Sandy is, you know, he's he's not Tony LaRusa old to, you know, hint at what we're going to talk about soon. But um, he's an old guy. Uh, he's a very steady hand. And it sounds like he's going to bring in, um, like, multiple, like, younger, savvier people under him. And it's hard to know, like, what he'll do with someone who actually wants to spend money because Sandy's tenure, um, Sandy got brought in by Bud Selig because of how big of a mess the Wilpons had made in like 2010. And he was, and Sandy was working in the MLB front office and they were like, Sandy, just go there and figure out how to make this not the tire fire that it is. So I don't know what to expect, but um, I think that having, you know, the fish rots from the head. I don't know what the opposite of that is, but the, the, Steve Cohen fish is a good, a good fish. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's good. And I mean, the weirdest thing that happened, like, so lots of weird things happened throughout this whole process. But one of the weirder things that happened was something that Jimmy and I were talking about earlier in the week. And it's that the, the mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio was basically trying to get in the way of this sale by withholding the lease of city field and not selling it to Stephen Cohen, more or less, which is not really his to do. It was just one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Jimmy, what was your take on this? 
Yeah, it's this weird thing that like City Field sits on city owned land, like New York City owned land, not City Bank owned land. And so, uh, so when, uh, I guess when ownership things happen with regard to that property, like the mayor's office has to sign off on it. But it's, a, it's like, it's a formality. It's not really supposed to be a whole thing. And there was a report in the post that, uh, de Blasio doesn't like Cohen because he's a rich guy. And so he was going to like try to stick it to him. De Blasio is like the one person who everyone from all sides of the aisle hates. Like, I don't know how he got, like he got reelected because like there was no one who really like primaried him basically. But like, you can't find someone in New York who doesn't like him regardless of what their background is. They could, they could have, you know, any number of political beliefs. And there's the, the unifying force is that this guy is a total clown who uh, is not a New Yorker, by the way. He moved down from Boston. He eats his pizza with a knife and fork. Like he's a, he's terrible. Um, and he's out after this year. So there's a mayoral election next year, but he stepped in it. And then almost like within hours of that report coming out, backtracked like a little baby. And then the next day was like, I, I didn't say any of that. Like I'm, no, and then like it, it all got sorted out like so fast. So um, it was it was crazy, and I did contemplate calling the mayor's office to uh, to <laughs> voice my concerns as a concerned citizen. Um, turns out like my local assemblyman also like raised hell, which I didn't know who he was. I found out he was my local assemblyman because he had um, complained about this, but now I like him. Uh, but like basically, by the time that I was like ready to call it. Sublazio had already backed down. So that's exactly uh, what happened to me. Yeah, because I was going to call too and be like, my friend lives in New York City and he's a Mets fan, and he wants to know why, in the middle of a pandemic, you're spending time trying to block the sale of a baseball team. But like, same kind of thing. As soon as his as uh, we talked about it and kind of figured out what we were going to say, he had already come out and backtracked and said we're good. So yeah, ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. Well, I, I hope that it works out better for your sake and just in general, everyone's sake in New York, because the Mets could, they have a great brand. They have a really loyal fan base. They, I mean, there's no reason they shouldn't be a premier team in the, in the league. This, yeah. This team, uh, like it had a chance to make a run toward the end of the season this year and collapsed on itself. But I do want to give you one stat. Um, so do you want to know which team, this season had the highest OPS plus in baseball because it's, you know, shortened season. So cumulative stats are a little bit harder, but highest OPS plus in all of MLB. I mean, the logical guess would be the Mets. Because I brought it up in that exact frame. Yeah, correct. That's um, exactly so where my head was at. The, the Dodgers had an OPS plus of 121. Mm-hmm. The Mets had an OPS plus of 122. Interesting. And didn't make the playoffs. The, I, I was, I was trying to find the exact stat, but it was, had trouble um there are only like four teams all time with a higher ops plus than um the mets this year Hmm. one of them is the 2017 astros who cheated Mm -hmm. um and the other is the 1920 another is the 1927 yankees so this mets lineup was pretty good and they were just so bad in so many other ways that they couldn't (laughs) they couldn't make a playoff the playoffs in a season where like 50 teams made the playoffs yeah it's tough so you're yeah, so. they're 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 as good offensively as the cheating Astros and the Yankees when they had Babe Ruth in his prime. Like <laughs> that's that's where we're at. 
and they couldn't make the playoffs in a year where they let everybody in except the Mets. They're like, please just breathe and you're in and the Mets couldn't do it. Apparently (laughs) the Marlins made it for God's sake. Yeah. To be fair, neither could the Red Sox or the Rangers, which is most of this podcast's fan base. Yeah. Common denominator. It's all good. Well, I do wish them the best of luck. I guess we have to move into talking about this White Sox thing. So the White Sox fired Rick Rentiera like two, three weeks ago, who was actually nominated today for AL Manager of the Year. And they fired it, but but he doesn't have a job anymore, so that's awkward. And they made the strangest hire I've ever seen a baseball teammate or any real, like I was trying to think, I don't know if there's a sports team that's ever hired a coach that has surprised me more than this did. And I'm talking about 76 year old Tony LaRussa. And while like, so Jimmy, you brought up the Alderson thing, uh, the, the, uh, Alderson thing for the, for the Mets. And it's the same kind of thing where it's like, this guy's coming out of like the front office of baseball to manage a team. And it's like, so to me, this is a really strange thing. And and we'll kind of talk about the ins and outs of it, but it's a very strange thing to me because like the Mets did that out of a, basically an arm turning from Bud Selig saying, this is what's going to happen. And the same thing happened to the 76ers in basketball, you know, like that happens, but it's like, why does that happen? This is a really good up and coming White Sox team. I mean, I, I guess I just don't really understand this hire at all. Sam, what do you think about it? I I can't really make sense of any part of it except for the fact that he has experience. Um, he has like a solid track record of managing teams to the playoffs. Not throughout his career, but he's done it a couple of times. But he's like, I, he must have shown something in some interview that made them say, this guy's still with it. He can play new school baseball and manage a team to success this up and coming team. But like it, Logically, I don't see a lot at it on its face that makes this look like a good idea. Hmm. I, given the ownership of the White Sox, I would not be surprised if they got one kind of pulled over on them in a weird way. And I'm not to say that Tony Larusa is not necessarily qualified to be a big league manager, but this game has changed a lot since he last managed, which wasn't that long ago. So he he retired uh, in 2011 after the piece of shit Cardinals took down the Rangers uh in the in seven games yeah so I mean it's and it's been like it it actually doesn't feel like it's been that long but it's been a while nine years nine Uh, years I pulled up some stats so I only know (laughs) I only knew Tony La Russa from his time managing the Cardinals because anything before that I was a child but uh it looks (laughs) like so he definitely was a player for a bit, um, but he wasn't a very good player. So I looked at it. Uh, I pulled up his stats here. His career play, his career war is negative point seven. So like he's better than me, but I feel like Jimmy Jimmy probably could have gotten a hit off of him. Um, anyway, but as a manager, like he has like a five thirty six uh, winning percentage. So decent but like you kind of think someone who's won three world series and was in the league for that long would have done better turns out he managed from 79 starting in chicago uh, to 2011 so i mean this dude's been in baseball for freaking ever 
and uh, yeah, that's all I'll say right now. I have a historical tie-in here shortly about this guy, but uh, what what do y'all think about any of that? I mean, it's it's an incredible resume as far as like length of time and like really kind of what Sam said, like a length of successful track records as a general rule. I mean, as as lengthy as you can get, but. I, I don't understand this from the White Sox side. I mean, nothing makes a bunch of young players run in and want to play like a 76-year-old manager. I, that just seems so odd to me. And it seems and I know there's, you know, there's more than one way to do it. I'm not saying it's invalid necessarily, but I just I don't understand it. I mean, I saw that the backup hire to La Russa was Bruce Bochi. What are we doing? Alex Cora is still out there. Oh no, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> well, he hasn't been hired by the Red Sox yet, but he's good. He's about to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could AJ Hinch. They could have picked up AJ Hinch, right? That yeah. would have been a great match. Like that's an up and coming team that AJ Hinch can succeed with. Like, why did they pick this old guy who has been successful? I don't know. Well, does it, does he want to right? do this? He seems like he does. I. I Maybe I'm just like fast forwarding my life 40 years, but when I'm 36, don't call me. <laughs> I'm with you, dude. I'm 100% with you. I don't know that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if like if he likes the idea, they wanted to get some pub in a year of weird pub and La Russa just has a brilliant agent. Like I feel like kind of like Justin said, not that La Russa deliberately pulled a fast one or anything, but just like. You know, he he probably outkicked his coverage in the interview and had an amazing agent and, you know, the stars kind of aligned. It's, it's also trendy right now to hire a guy in his late 70s to do a job that he used to do a few years ago. So um, that was what I hurt myself trying to stretch that one. Um, but it's true, whatever. though. It's true, though. I mean, I don't know. I, I see like... With this kind of stuff, I, I I struggle to understand it, but I also understand it really well in a weird way because like it's the people that don't know that just because you run a business doesn't necessarily mean you know how to run a major league club of any like not as even necessarily just baseball, but we see this in all sports. And you look at like you know people like Jerry Rosendorf who owns the the White Sox and he owns the Bulls as well the Bulls are an absolute train wreck and they've never been anything other than in the Michael Jordan days anything but and it's the same kind of thing you could see where an owner like that who thinks that he knows could be had by someone like this and I'm not again I, I don't mean this to discredit Tony LaRusso I just don't understand the hire I really don't and a lot of people I've se I've seen the take out there of like well who else were they really going to get AJ Hinch Alex Cora, I mean, there's a litany of bench coaches out there. I know you don't necessarily want to go that route when you just fired Rick Rantera, but why did you fire your manager that just is up for AL Manager of the Year in the first place? Ding, ding, ding. And especially because the White Sox, yes, they're in a rebuild, but they had a good year for where they're at in the rebuild. And, I mean, they're just about to be at the point where you're opening the window and you want someone, yes, you want someone with experience, but I, I struggle to think of how... Larusa is going to uh, identify with a 23-year-old who just wants to like, I don't know, play Among Us and go on TikTok. And Larusa is talking about when he tried to hit off of Whitey Ford or something. Yeah, I mean, I don't like, I don't know how relatable he's going to be, and I 
like I think they could have found any number of people who were who'd be like cheaper and and younger um, to to do the same stuff. But he was always a guy as a manager who was like pretty open to experimentation. Like he wasn't a buy the book manager. He's one of those people who like got really into batting like pitcher eighth instead of ninth and was like always perceived as, you know, the sort of NL manager who like would tinker and like try new things, which isn't the worst mindset. Maybe, you know, he's 76 years old physically, but maybe mentally he's, you know, He's young at heart or something. I don't know. I, I He's 76, 76 physically, mentally 72. Like, that doesn't <laughs> help. It's a good point. No, I mean, I'm, I know what you mean, Jimmy. I mean, I, that's, that's the only thing you can think of is you hope that they look up to the experience is really what it comes down to because there's nothing really else there. I don't know where the relationship piece comes into place other than just a tremendous amount of respect for someone who does have a really good resume. I mean, six pennants in three World Series, pretty good, you know, and it's, I mean, let's just put it this way. Whatever we were doing the live watch of the World Series last year, and Sam and I were drafting players from my baseball card collection full of players from 1986, Tony La Russa was the manager that I chose. So that kind of puts it into context of how far back this guy goes, and it's, it's a baffling hire to me. I... I Fascinated to see how it's going to go. I have a feeling it may not go as well as they think it will. We'll see. Well, well said, everyone. Now it's time for the moment you have all been waiting for, and that's where we review our prediction. So a little bit of context. We were going to have a prediction episode in March uh, when COVID <laughs> happened, and we decided to, to hold off. So, like, the weekend that baseball started in late June – the four of us got together and made these picks. And I don't know if we were just in a little bit of a goofy mood. I think that a few of the picks may have been that uh, the season won't happen or we're just rooting for a meteor. Like there was a number of creative picks, uh, but I have not revisited these. I don't know if y'all have. I'm super excited to see uh, where these are at. I have not revisited them either. I know Jimmy has it. I have been revisiting them during this episode, and I'm ready to review the results. Let's. This is what Sam right. lives for. <laughs> All right. Well, this one is uh, – we're going to start with Justin. Justin had four predictions. Um, actually, pretty good. Pretty okay. good predictions. The first one is incredibly topical. It says the White Sox will be notable, <laughs> which – They were notable. Turned out, to, turned out to be very true. The yes. White Sox finished second in the division – their win percentage last year was 427. Their win, or sorry, uh, 447 in 2019. Their win percentage in 2020 was 583. So over 100 points in the win loss percentage increase. Good. And um, they made it to the wild card. Yeah, with some significant holes that they had in their team. So it's, it's a young team up and coming. We've already kind of been over where they're at. So it's yeah, an I mean, take. they got there on the backs of Jose Abreu, uh, Yuan Moncada, and Lucas Giolito. Yeah. Very That's good. Kind of it. Okay, what's next? Nationals not that good, it says. Yep, that was right. Nationals came last in the NL East. <laughs> uh, they, for those of you who don't know, won the World Series last year. Yeah. They were uh, lightning in a bolt. <laughs> the third Justin take was Red Sox fucking terrible. These are all verbatims, by the way. Red Sox fucking terrible. Do we meet that threshold? 
Nailed it. You tell me. They met that threshold whenever their manager asked the media how if they have any tips on how they could get things running better because that was a low point. I'll tell you. Not that good. Not that good. <laughs> uh, this next one, probably my favorite worded one, but all of Justin's were worded very, very well. This says angels will do many errors. <laughs> all right. And... <laughs> Uh, they were they had the sixth most of all the teams this year. Many? Man. Does that qualify as many? They had, thir- they had 36 errors in 60 games. Wow. That the Yankees feels like were a lot. first with 48 errors. Yeah. Thank you, um, Catcher Man. What's his name? Somebody save me. Uh, Catcher Man. Uh, On the Yankees. Uh, he's terrible defensively. Excellent. Uh, Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez, yeah. I could picture his ginormous body, but that was about it. Mark that for later. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> He needs to have Catcher Man on the back of his jersey <laughs> here into perpetuity. Okay. So all those okay. held up, right? Those all held up. Yeah. Every one of them. Four for uh, four. I would say, like, dead on, great for the first three teams. And then Angels will do many errors. There's some gray area, but they're definitely in the, you know, top, not quite quartile, but definitely the top third. All right. I'll take it. Okay, Ben, I wrote down um, four playoff teams, Tampa Bay, Minnesota, Oakland, Atlanta Brewers Dodgers that all worked out but that was before we knew the playoff format yes um so yeah I was wrong on Minnesota and one other one I, I don't think the Wait, Brewers made it, made it. All no. those teams made it to the playoffs all those teams made it yeah I, we didn't we, wow. we we were kind of operating under the old assumption that there'd be one team per division per league and if we if we went by that standard, some of that's wrong, but some, a lot of it's actually right. The Dodgers were right, Atlanta was right, um, Oakland, Minnesota, and Tampa. All of those were correct choices. Man, well I've done, been man. right twice now this month. This is good. <laughs> Just like a broken clock. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Once every four years. <laughs> All right. All right. For me, I I put we finish. Hmm. We did because there was a lot of speculation that we would shut this thing down. This was like April, May, June. We were all sort of in the dumpsters about our lives <laughs> and we were really sure when normal would proceed. And I was like, they're going to fucking do this thing. So, right. and, and J Mac and I, especially, cause I remember revisiting that um, J Mac and I, especially after the Cardinals and was it Miami had their whole, their whole thing. Like we were like, there's no way this is going. And Sam's like, Oh yeah, it is. And I think for additional context, we talked about it once or twice on this show, but at some point in the summer, Jimmy, didn't you just like Jack Kerouac across the entire country? We did. Yeah, we drove from New York to San Diego in like June. Awesome. <laughs> so about this time when we're all like everything's on fire, Jimmy's like, I'm going to get a Winnebago and just see the world, man. Well, I mean, uh, we we needed to go out there. And uh, we weren't going to fly. So this was actually like in response to uh, to the COVID stuff. And it, it worked out. worked out OK. We got we, we got through the parts just before, like, things got bad in some of those parts. Um, yeah. Good. Good to hear. OK. Uh, next next prediction by me was the most improved team would be the Reds. Hmm. How Any thoughts on that? How are we measuring the, improvement here? 
They were the seventh seed in the playoffs, I think, right? Or did they end up missing at the last minute? No, they made it. Um, they ended up losing in the wild card game. So 2019 season win percentage of 463. Mm-hmm. This year, a win percentage of 517. Um, they ended up being second in the division. They were fourth last year and they made the playoffs. So I don't think they are the most improved team, but they are significantly improved. The last time they had a win percentage over 500 was 2013. Wow. And that was barely, right? Uh, they did better in 2013 okay. than they did this year in terms of win percentage. But so not the most improved team. I mean, even just looking over the White Sox numbers, they improved more. But the the Reds were improved much more than I think most people thought they were. So that's yeah. like I think that's a, a check. four out of ten in terms of predicting. I would say um, this was like my my stretch prediction, and I said five plus people would have 20 or more home runs. We only ended up with one. That was Luke Voigt. He had 22 mm. home runs. Um, behind him were, uh, we had Jose Abreu with 19, Marcelo Zuna, 18, Mike Trout and Jose Ramirez both had 17. So, wow. It kind of, the race kind of stalled out there at the end, but I was really banking on five with 20 or more, but just Luke Voigt. He's, he was mashing homers all season. He was. Those are all 22 homers over 60 games. Pretty good. It's like a third of the time. Pretty good. good. (laughs) And then finally we had Jimmy. Jimmy had two predictions. One was that we would have a record high in errors per game. Ooh. I don't think I don't that think happened. We... I, I looked, and the fielding percentage was actually, it was only a, a hundredth of a point worse this year, or a thousandth of a point worse. It was pretty similar. So I doubt that I ended up being correct on that. You're, you're close. So it was two hundredths of a point off from 2017. That was the next lowest number. But after, before that, I mean... It was really bad. So it was like 0.58 errors per game. Um, that is pretty low. But I looked into some of the deeper stats here. We have historically high wild pitches and passed balls. There it so is. There's a silver lining there. Historically bad pitcher, pecker, combo stuff. I'll take it. And then uh, Jimmy's final prediction was around the NL East. And he stack he didn't stack rank. He regular ranked the teams. He said the Braves would come in first, Nats would be second, Mets third, Phillies, and then Marlins. Everything except for the Braves was completely on its head. So we had Braves, Braves first, Marlins, Phillies, Mets, and Nats. So like you were absolutely wrong on everything but the Braves. Now, in my defense, even though the Mets ended up in dead last. They were two games out of third because the division was really bad. It's true. But it's a bad division. I was almost entirely wrong, and I'll, I'll own that. That's all right. It's just like the pineapple upside down cake of baseball predictions. Like, it's fine. You just got to turn it. <laughs> what? Oh, oh those oh, are all the you, predictions. Do y'all not watch a bunch of Great British Bake Off when you're, when you're quarantining in your, in your homes? Nobody's quarantining. Speaking of Great British Bake Off, we started something on Netflix yesterday called Great American Barbecue Showdown, and it's like the same format. It's like they come in with like kind of a sky view of the state where the competition happens. The people who are competing are not like professionals. Like I think they just someone at Netflix was like, this Great British Bake Off is going wonderfully. 
can someone mad lib us some new shows? And they right. helicopter and a bunch of meat and have them cook. Let's, let's <laughs> yeah. just find a way to, to bastardize and or Americanize this. I love it. I will check it out. Sam, I do have additional question uh, just while you have the – do you still have the chart up? Did we make beginning of the year World Series predictions? Not that I'm aware of, no. Okay. All right. Just curious because I really wish – that I could go back and pull like a stone tablet that shows me picking the Dodgers over the Rays. I don't think I did it, but there's like a two and a half percent chance that I may have said something like that at some point. Ben, I'm, I'm pretty sure we delayed that until the season started and then we skipped right to this season is fucked. Is it going to happen? What weird yeah. shit's going to go down? Yeah, I think that's right. Ben, I, I'm reasonably sure. I don't know that you said Rays necessarily, but I know you talked about the Dodgers winning all year long. You definitely did somewhere. Well, to Sam's point, you, if you pick it every year for four years, you'll eventually get something right. But um, no, it, huge props to Jimmy for for uh, for flying in from New York. Boy, are his arms tired. Um, you know, we are definitely happy to have him here and uh, to have all of you listeners and viewers make sure you can find us all over Sensibly Loud Media, excuse me, SensiblyLoud.com, which is our Sensibly Loud Media home. Plus, we are all on the social media where you got your Facebook, your Instagram, and the good old Twitter. Plus, you can watch these shows on Facebook or on YouTube as we're doing them, and it's perfect. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. That really helps us out. And huge props to JMAC for producing this and every other episode. Go vote. Biden 2020 will make this happen. We'd like to thank everyone for tuning in for episode 130 of the Outfielder Podcast. We'd like to thank all of our fans, Sensibly Loud Media, our sponsors, and those with a sharp eye to keep the runners close. Grounds crew, please keep patrolling that outfield. Big ups to Kevin Towers. Don't text and drive, but we'll see you right back here next time on the Outfielder Podcast. Death,